Now, uh, this morning, we're into our fourth in the, in the series on David, uh, a man after God's own heart. And uh, this week's sermon is titled, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. And uh, it's, uh, the passage is about David and Goliath. And uh, on the next shot, we've got a, a picture of what... Uh, David and Goliath, not what they look like, but it gives you a, an indication of the, the height difference, the size of them. And, and, and the size seems to be a very important part uh, for this story. So we really, really want to emphasise this for you this morning. So over here is, is our kids' church team, and they're going to... Yeah, they're going to build for us cardboard effigies of Saul... David and Goliath. Now this is going to test you guys not to be distracted listening to the words while seeing chaos run supreme. But no, in Kay's capable hands, I'm sure it's all going to be fine. So we're going to have Saul way over this side and you can start bringing the boxes out, guys. We're going to have David maybe in the middle here and then we're going to build Goliath last because we don't want people knocking them over. Oh, look at this, working like a well-oiled machine. Kids rule. <laughs> Kids rule, there you've got it. What are you doing up here, miss? Waiting. Waiting? You're meant to be helping move boxes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's great to have company up here on the stage. <laughs> now... Now, the first point I want to make uh, is that this battle between David and Goliath has a teaching purpose in which Goliath actually plays a pretty minor part. You see, the real crisis is between Israel and God. Here, Israel has again committed the sin of rejecting God as their king and insisting that they can rule themselves. And this is a story that is repeated over and over in Scripture, with only slight variations. And each of these stories point ahead to, to Jesus and uh, his defeat of the Goliaths that would enslave and imprison us. Each time God saves his people, he also offers them the opportunity to be reconciled to him. And this is the real tricky part with Goliath. Oh... Oh, oh. Okay. Now we, f we figured just, just around the bottom of that black speaker is nine foot. So well done, guys. We've got Goliath. We've got David. And, and Saul's... Ah, uh, here comes Saul. Fantastic. So... God's ongoing battle is wooing his people to give him their love and their trust. And it goes on to this very day. So let's look at the background to our story. And Miss, you are more than welcome to stay here, but I think there might even be colouring in or a bit more stuff to stick up. But, but you can stay, I don't mind. I don't mind. It, it's like a, a, a two-person show, isn't it? So let's read a little bit. Uh, 
we read from Samuel 8, 1 Samuel 8. They, being Israel, said, give us a king to lead us. And this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. You see, God had been leading Israel. In the, in the chapter immediately beforehand, chapter 7, Israel had recommitted themselves to, to God. The Philistines had attacked and God had given Israel a miraculous victory yet here again the very next chapter they're rejecting God as their king they, they still want God around but on their terms and they say we want a king over us then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles they're sort of saying God you can sit in the back seat if you like, but we're doing the driving. God does find them a king that, that meets their criteria. And we read over in chapter 10, uh, a bit of a description. As, as he, Saul, stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. I'm just wondering, can you just go down there and stand next to Samuel so we can see how tall Samuel is? Saul, see how tall Saul is. Now, I really don't know the height of Saul. We're not told. But what we do know is that he was taller than all the others. So if the Israeli basketball team was six foot tall, then Saul was, was seven foot. So let's jump forward to our chapter where we find the hostile neighbour nation of the Philistines. And uh, guess what they've got? They've got a nine foot champion. Wow, do you think it's going to make it? <laughs> so here we have, here's Goliath. He stood out and shouted to the ranks of the Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Paul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You've got to ask, what, what's become of Israel's king? The one that they'd asked for, the one who was going to go out before them and fight their battles for them. Here's his opportunity, if ever there was an opportunity. He can save the lives of all of Israel, all his soldiers, through single man-to-man -man combat. It's laid out for him. And you sort of think, oh, it wouldn't be great if wars could be settled so easily that it was just one person against another. So from Israel's point of view, they're looking at Saul as, as their option, their selected champion. He is clearly bigger and stronger. And besides, 
He's been enjoying all the perks of being a king. They've been paying him for it and, and, and he's accepted that. He should go. Yet there is not one Israelite who believes that Saul could vanquish this giant. As it says, they were all dismayed and terrified. God had rescued Israel from slavery in the past and now having removed God as their king, Israel finds themselves again threatened with slavery and they're powerless. I bet you didn't know that David took a sheep with him into battle. <laughs> However, when we read the Bible, we find that the Bible is a story of, of God's grace. And here is where David, a man after God's own heart, enters the story. Immediately though, David is confronted with opposition that he must overcome, as we read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, which is the start of our reading. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Sorry, lost my place because I'm glancing at too many things. <laughs> Your servant killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now, a number of years ago, I used to uh, manage the uh, animal park at Macadamia Castle and uh, quite often I'd be interviewing young teenagers uh, to, to work in the, the park of a weekend. Now, I, I never expected any of these teenagers to come up with an impressive resume showing that they'd had animal park experience. Uh, it would be unrealistic. But what I, what I would look forward for is how they served mum and dad at home, how they participated in managing the house managing the property and if they were active participants and they, and they seemed to have a good work ethic they were in and so I see David doing something similar here uh, and and I've got to say his his experience in his home managing the sheep fighting off lions and bears is pretty impressive but what really shines through is his ethics, his work ethics are inspired by his passionate relationship with God. That's what really stood through. And I can't fathom uh, what caused Saul to, to finally respond the way he did. Maybe rec he recognised that God was with this young man because, because at this stage Saul knew that God was no longer with him. 
Uh, maybe it was because he had no other options. No one else was putting up their hand. But he says, go and the Lord be with you. So overcoming opposition was the, the, the first uh, difficulty that uh, David faced. Casting off convention. Now, I reckon I'll just go straight into reading it. I, uh, I've, I've been trying to do, I think the word's alliteration, you know, getting overcoming opposition, OOCC, that sort of thing happening. So let's just go and read the passage. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. We've got Saul over here, seven foot tall. Can you imagine taking the armour off a grown, experienced soldier and trying to put it on a young lad, barely a, a teenager, still entering into manhood? Ridiculous. It's a, it's a, it's a comical sight. What I find even more comical is that here's Saul who when he's facing, won't face Goliath because he doesn't trust his armour. He doesn't believe that his armour is going to protect him from the onslaught of this nine foot tall giant. So how is it going to help David? But armour in battle was the convention and David chose to be unconventional for this battle now I'm really happy that Lismore Baptist Church seems to be a church that doesn't shy away from the unconventional we uh, seem keen to embrace things for the purpose of winning people to God uh, bringing people into his kingdom and that excites me because there are times when we do need to use different strategies if we're going to expect different results so that was the second part, casting off convention. The third is going with God. Our story of God's grace finds David going with God. And children, this is where I need you to prepare to come in, okay? But I need you to wait for the sign. Now, I better tell you what the sign's going to be. It's going to be that, okay? But not until I do that. All right. Wow, I'm really confident this is going to, I'm going to pull this off. <laughs> All right, let's read. Meanwhile, the Philistines with their shield bearer in front of him, the Philistines, sorry, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know 
that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Are we looking up here, guys? Great. Make sure you can see me. And the Philistine moved closer to attack. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet them, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it. He slung it. (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Kids and leaders, I want to thank you for your your participation. You you did a, a wonderful job this morning. Now you've got one more job. Okay, we just don't want to leave Goliath lying there. So if you can, grab one or two bits of Goliath, follow Kay and Jenny out to the hall, and I think uh, we've got some uh, stuff happening out there. Okay, can you do that for me? And can we just give the kids a clap? So this has been a bit of a a demonstration, I guess, this morning of what intergenerational church looks like. Instead of sending the kids out, you have them involved. I've got to say, one of the problems is is if you're in the mindset that, uh, you know, this is a sacred place, then kids become disruptive. If you've got a mindset that, that we're all the body of Christ, then you're really treasure having the kids involved and as I said I I find we're a church that can embrace new ideas so yeah thank you all for for allowing this this morning but let's get back to the sermon Um, now when you push aside the the chit chat that had occurred there between David and Goliath you got to say the demise of Goliath was pretty swift and it's always, it always is when God takes up the fight. Our wars go on for years, but when God goes into battle, it's over in a flash. Oh, no, no, please leave David there. We're only taking Goliath. David's still part of my story. It was my greatest fear that everyone was going to get demolished <laughs> along with Goliath, so, so we're, we're going well, we're going well. Our wars go on for years. When God goes into battle, it's over in a flash. It's, it's a, it's a three-second knockout. Now, when I'm thinking about this and, and, and thinking about other battles in Scripture, you can't help but go to the, the big battle. The ultimate war scene is in Revelations chapter 16. And verse 16 reads this. They gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now there's lots of movies about Armageddon, the final battle of good against evil. However, you read verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, 
it is done. Yep, it's done. When God steps into the ring, it's over in an instance. However, just like watching sports on TV, the book of Revelation shows us that same action from different angles. Chapter 19 gives us the image of the rider on a white horse. Now, there's no mistake, that's Jesus. And with him are the armies of heaven following behind. On the other side is the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together. We're all set up for another epic battle. And the action begins with the beast was captured. That's usually the last thing in an epic battle scene. There's blood and mayhem and everything else and it's not till the end that the the power behind the evil gets captured. In God's story, it happens right at the start. It's no contest. Are you getting the picture? The Goliaths are no threat to God. Even Satan and his armies of destructions are but nothing to him. Satan and the Goliaths expose our fears, our inabilities to overcome every situation and our need for a trustworthy protector and king. These threats are very real to a godless humanity and without God we can end up enslaved. But God is gracious, he steps in and he gives us the opportunity to be freed. So we have the story of David and Goliath, but the real battle begins after that. You see, God is fighting for the hearts of his people. John 3.16 makes this clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you understand that? God has taken out the Goliath but it still requires for you to be the whoever believes in him. Because not everyone does. What God wants is he wants his people to give him their love, to give him their trust. Sometimes we think we can do that just for a moment, but it's not for a moment, not just until the crisis is averted, but as the very centre of our lives. What does calling on God look like when we only do it in a crisis? Well, well, Jesus gives, a, gives us a bit of an idea in, in Matthew chapter 12. He tells this story. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, he goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then he says, I will return to the house I left. When he arrives, he finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then he goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and they live there and the final condition of that person is worse than the first that is how it will be for this wicked generation you see God wants us to have a a lifestyle of trusting him and I introduced this story as as one that is repeated over and over in scripture with, with slight variations And these other stories become important to protecting us from misreading 
this passage. Uh, I found it fascinating doing the research for this passage of, of seeing what others see as the, the main point of the David and Goliath story. And sometimes it's presented that if I trust God, I'll win every battle. If I trust God, I'll win every battle. However, when we read these, these parallel stories, we find some in some of them, the David character dies. Now, consider the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Abel is the David-like character in that story. He dies. Even the book of Revelations, we've already quoted from there, repeatedly calls the faithful to endure. And Revelation 6 verse 9 is, is particularly enlightening because it reads... When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the soul, the soul sorry, of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They died. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate David, isn't he? He won the battle by dying and now he has the possession of the keys to death and Hades. The hope for us who trust in God is in the assurance that the final battle belongs to the Lord. It will be over in an instant and we will have the joy of a life in the kingdom of our God. Our job is to trust God and to remember that the battle belongs to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are prepared to be our God, prepared to be our King. Lord, help us to look at those things in our own lives that we've been uh, putting our trust in Lord other than you help us to 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 go back and put our trust fully in you Lord we praise you and and thank you for for what you have done for us and Lord no matter what happens in our life we're going to put our trust in you in every situation because you're a good God and you love us and you have an eternity waiting for us bless you Lord in Jesus name Amen